hello everybody. Um, so good to be here. Thanks so much again for coming out on a Wednesday evening. I know you were risking it with the possible rain and you might have had to park a couple of blocks away um, and yet you risked it for the biscuit and you are here. So it's great. And um, we are in, for those of you who don't know, we are in basically part seven of an eight-part journey going through the topic of Jesus and sexuality. And tonight we are talking about um, Jesus, transgender, and intersex. Uh, nothing controversial at all, and so it's going to be a good time together. Um, but uh, to just get very serious very quickly, and um, I do want to say that when we are talking about what we're going to be talking about tonight, um, I want us to remember that we're talking about two things. So we're talking about many things, but two of the things we're talking about are people and concepts. And I think sometimes we might be tempted to um, overemphasize one or the other. And so I want to say, firstly, we're talking about people. When we're talking about transgender intersex, we're not just talking context. We're talking about people's very real experiences, their lives, um, things that they've had to deal with from personal experiences to social stigma to just general confusion about who they are. Um, and so we need to recognize that and hold that and, and not lose that at all. These are people who are made in the image of God. Some of you might be here tonight, and you're welcome. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is concepts. Um, this is not just people trying to make sense of things, but there are many concepts that are being thrown around that are um, helping or not helping people make sense of their experience of life. And so we're talking about both these things, people and concepts. We're grappling with both. And... The reason it's important to grapple with both of those things is, in many ways, because of Jesus' call to us to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. You can't know someone unless you firstly... Y'all hear me as well? <laughs> Should I just pause for a second? There we go. Stop twice. Um... Alright, where was I? People and concepts. Um, it's important because God's told us to love Him and love people. Love our neighbors as ourselves. And you can't love someone um, without understanding them. That's kind of the first step to be able to have a conversation with someone and journey with them and, and show them love and you know, whatever, whatever else might follow. And so we want to understand our neighbors, our friends, our family members who might be... Um, wrestling around these questions for themselves because of their own very lives and experiences and bodies. Um, and it's their struggles, their stories, their worldviews that we want to know. doesn't mean we have to agree and affirm with every, you know, dot and I and everything, but we want to understand where people are coming from, where they find themselves at. And then we want to understand God's world. We kind of chatted about this last Sunday, but we want to honor God and as Christ followers live wisely and wonderfully in a world that He's designed um, a world that he's designed for human flourishing, for human flourishing. And so that's just a little bit of a disclaimer up front. And as I said earlier, there are people in the room, like they were on Sunday and last week, who are grappling with these things for themselves personally. And then I know people in this room, we've had conversations this week, who are grappling with it in the context of friends and family. Um, they are trying to figure out relationships with people who identify as, as one sex and now identifying as another sex or, or gender. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about those terms just now. Um, and I know it's becoming very real in the public sphere, in the public space. So if you're in the medical field or um, 
you're a psychologist or you're in a school, these, these issues and, uh, are being grappled with at, at, at policy level and laws, whether it's workplaces, institutions. And so whoever you are here tonight, whatever, however you're coming at this, this concept, this issue, um, or how you are wrestling with this yourself or with people that you love, everyone's welcome. Um, dial in, listen in. Here's the big question that I just want us to, to answer and have in the back of our head. This is ultimately what we're trying to answer tonight. What does love look like? I've stolen it from Andrew Wilson, who, along with a couple of other people, Nancy Piercy, Preston Sprinkle, Carl Truman, Leonard Sachs, and Deborah So, I think have been helpful in shaping what you're going to hear this evening. Um, but what does love look like? That's the big question, okay? So here's where we're going. Uh, just a quick, uh, show you the, the plan for the evening. Number one, we're going to just quickly look at some quick definitions of some terminology, um, very quickly. And then we're going to have a look at the lay of the land. And what I mean by this is, more definitions will come out here, but I, I think for some of us in the room, this is like a completely blurry left field issue that you don't have a lot of clarity on. So we're going to have a look at the lay of the land. What are we talking about? What are we not talking about? How do we understand different categories, different groups of people? Hopefully what the lay of the land section is, is something that most people, no matter what ideology or viewpoint you're coming from, can hopefully just agree that these are the, the things that are on the table. Um, and then from there we're going to quickly look at the fact that we all have social and moral imaginations that have been shaped by the stories. And then we're going to look at, as we have been in this whole time, the postmodern story, how it speaks into this specific uh, bunch of issues and, and conversations. And then look at the Jesus story and then figure out how we respond. And again, the response is going to be, what does love look like? What does love look like for, for us and people? And so we're just going to dive in. I hope you guys are, are okay. And again, maybe like last week, for some of you, this might feel like, again, drinking from a fire hydrant um, because there might be just so much terminology. But just go with me and hopefully it'll be as clear as it can be. Um, some quick definitions when it comes to this conversation. Two that I just think will be helpful right off the bat. And it is sex and gender. Sex and gender. Now, um, many of you might just think of those terms as interchangeable. Um, most of our government documents still view them as interchangeable. Um, but for the sake of this conversation, um, this is what's typically referred to when uh, these words are used. When we're talking about sex, we're talking about biology. Are you male? Are you female? Biologically, in your, in your physical body. Gender is typically speaking about your internal sense of self. And this kind of comes in, in, in two categories here. So you've got gender identity, which is how we feel in relation to our biological sex and whether we feel masculine or feminine. And there's much more that can go into that. But that's gender identity. And then off the back of that, you've got gender expression, okay, which is the external manifestation of our gender identity or how we express our gender through appearance, clothing, hairstyle, choices, mannerisms, etc. And as I say, many of you might have thought of these terms interchangeable. They, they were basically the same thing until about the 1960s, where they got split up into the definitions that I've now given you. You don't have to necessarily agree that with these definitions, but this is how they're being used. So it's, you know, you get, get on the same page with people so you can engage in this conversation. Um, and this is typically how they're understood in the world around us. And so we're going we're gonna to deal with them like that. So those are the quick definitions. Some of you already know. Oh, my gosh. Now, the lay of the land. The lay of the land. Here is a diagram that I'm going to put up and, and, and talk through, okay? Which I think will help us 
understand various people in this conversation, where various people are coming from. Um, it is my own diagram, so any problems with it is my sole responsibility, and I do apologize for that. I'm not saying it's perfect, and I'm not saying it's going to capture every single person. There, there is permeations in some of these, these, these camps and groups and understandings, but I hope it'll just give us a helpful um, framework. And if you listen to this on audio, good luck. Um, I don't know what you're going to... Good luck to you. Hopefully I'll try to describe it to you. Um, you'll see in gold are these boxes um, of, of groups of people. And those with questions and concerns, scholars and activists, those with rapid onset gender dysphoria, those with gender dysphoria, and then there's a separate category you'll see intersex at the top there. Let me just talk through some of these. On the far left, we've got um, those with questions and concerns, um, and this includes a whole bunch of people. It includes scholars, teachers, parents, friends. This is probably the vast majority of, of, of people on the planet, to be honest. Um, it doesn't mean that people are super opposed to transgender people or anything like that, but it's people who have questions and some have concerns about this whole conversation. Um, now, there are a lot of people in the room that, that, that fall into different groups within, within that. Several of you, as I've said, have family members who are currently transitioning. You, you, you had a sister, you now have a brother. I know that's a live issue and conversation for, for people in this room. Um, some of you are beginning to be caught up in laws surrounding things like public bathrooms, questions around that. These are maybe not necessarily super new, but they're happening. Can a 45-year-old man use a woman's bathroom where your teenage daughter is also in there because he identifies as a woman? What do we do with that? Um, there's many controversies in other countries around biological men competing in women's sports. I'm sure many of you would have heard the headlines when we had the Olympics recently. There was um, the New Zealand uh, weightlifter who was a biological man identified as a woman and he, he, she was entered into the competition um, and didn't, didn't win. She didn't come, in, didn't come in the top three. But anyways, and I think this is not even new for us as South Africans. We've had questions um, going back 10 years around Carter Semenya and her intersex condition. And so this is not a fresh conversation either. And this is becoming massive um, within schools in the Western Cape, um, and not just high schools, but even primary schools and pre-primary schools, where people are trying to figure out um, who can attend what schools. Can a biological girl start attending an all-boys school? That's a question that's happening in the southern suburbs. Can a girl at an all-girls school um, wear a different uniform from the rest of the girls that's more masculine, um, but she still wants to be in the girls' school but wants to identify as a boy? What pronouns should teachers be expected to use or not? I know a teacher this week who was, um, they were talking about their pre-primary kids and there was a big conversation around, are we able to speak about boys and girls or do we just have to call them children? And it's a very live wire issue on the Atlantic seaboard. Um, this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the tip of the iceberg of the questions and concerns that, that many people have, okay? And most people, in fact, all people, according to my diagram here currently, are kind of in the, what we call, cisgender. That means you are someone for whom your biological sex lines up with your sense of who you are and your gender identity. That's what the term cisgender means. Everyone doing okay so far? Lots of terminology coming at you. The next thing we're gonna define here is transgender, or for short, trans. You'll see that at the top there, and it's kind of an umbrella term covering a bunch of people and a lot of various things. And so let me just say, it's an umbrella term for many people who might experience and or express their gender identities 
differently to those whose sense of gender identity is congruent with their biological sex. And it's a very broad category. You'll see that it encompasses a whole bunch of the groups that we're going to speak to in a second. And there are plenty of ways that trans people would identify themselves. And Mark Yarhouse is famous for saying, he's a, he's a sort of a scholar, he's famous for saying, if you've met one trans person, you've met one trans person. Because there is such a variety under this umbrella. So people would um, identify themselves as gender non-conforming, non-binary, meaning I don't identify as a man or a woman. Uh, gender fluid, transgender, Libra gender, which is a very confusing one when you, when you go and read about it. Pan gender, gender expansive, gender queer, agender. Uh, there's, there's, there's a big list. <clears throat> but this all falls under the banner of what it means to be transgender. And people who have identified as transgender typically are in the process of transitioning, or at least an option on the table is for them to transition. Um, and this comes in two phases. Socially transitioning is typically phase one, where they would change their name, ask people to refer to them by different pronouns, perhaps dress in a different way, and, 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 and come across to people in social circumstances as the opposite sex. Then, step two would be medically transitioning. Now, if you are a person who is grappling with this and you haven't hit puberty yet, you would first be placed on puberty blockers to stop the biological process, and then you would get on to cross-sex hormones, which if you're a man, you'd be pumped with estrogen and a few other things. And if you're a woman, you'd be pumped with testosterone to start giving your body some biological features of the opposite sex. And then from there, you can move to things like top surgery, where if you're a woman, you'll have both your breasts removed. Um, um, and then you can have complete sex reassignment surgery from the lower half. Um, so, I don't know if you guys watched the movie Juno. Do you remember a movie called Juno about 10 years ago about the teenage girl who got pregnant? So, I've just gone blank on her name. Um, what's the actress name? Yeah. Ellen yeah, uh, Page. What? Ellen Page. Ellen Page. Ellen Page was the actress. Um, she was also in Interstellar. She, in the last year or two, um, transitioned to being Elliot Page, and she recently had both her breasts removed. So, you can see photos of her in her swimming costume. Um, looking like a boy. She's not transitioned to be Elliot Page. Um, so that's just a little bit of explanation around what we're talking about here. I know for some of you it might be very familiar, to some of you it might be completely new. Now, kind of under this banner of transgender, I would say there are sort of three big camps that we could um, identify and speak to and connect with and understand very differently. Um, which is why you've, you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. But um, here are three groups, and there may, there may, be, there may be others, but anyways. Um, the first is on the far right, gender dysphoria. Now, this is basically more or less one of the most common ones, which is mostly what I've already explained. So it's a psychological term for people who experience a disconnect between their biological sex and um, their internal sense of self. In many cases, this is happening from a young age would call it early onset gender dysphoria. By the way, I don't claim to be a medical professional. Let me just preface it with this, okay? I'm a pastor, but let me just carry on from there. Um, typically, this is in, you, it's found in young boys. It starts around the age of three or four, um, and then in some cases persists into adolescence and then into um, adulthood. Um, the statistics are the majority of kids who have this end up passing through it around about the time they had puberty, maybe just before. It's probably in the 70 to 80% range, um, which means there's many stories of people who 
either identified at that young age and then just detransitioned before puberty, before they, 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 they did anything medical or anything like that. But there's also a growing number of people on the post-adolescent, post-surgery side of things who are now detransitioning. There's just a whopping amount of stories that are coming out because many people um, still recognize that it ends up being a cycle, not, not a chosen phase, but a phase where they, they, they come right from the sense and, and there's, a, there's a congruency between their sex and their internal sense of gender. Hope you guys are all still follow me here. The next two categories, we're actually going to fly through and we'll chat more about them on Sunday. Um, that is rapid onset gender dysphoria and the scholars and activists in a particular realm. Rapid on onset gender dysphoria is essentially this. It's a type of adolescent onset or late onset gender dysphoria where the development of gender dysphoria is observed to begin suddenly during or after puberty in an adolescent or young adult who would have not met criteria for gender dysphoria in childhood. Um, in many ways, there are many factors that are contributing this uh, to this, um, but in many ways there is an element, and we'll unpack this more on Sunday, <coughs> of a what they're calling a social contagion where people are, are assuming they have gender dysphoria, uh, believing they have gender dysphoria, claiming they have gender dysphoria, but it might be a number of other things that are at play, um, but people are being forced very quickly to transition. We'll talk about it more later. And then scholars, activists, um, <clears throat> these are not all scholars and activists, but I mentioned many are in the concerned camp. But what we're talking about here are specifically the applied postmodern scholars and activists. They would be people who would work under the broad banner of a thing called critical theory, which is just a massive web of studies, one of those subsets would be something called queer theory, which a lot of the um, <clears throat> sort of transgender ideology, quick to affirm, quick to force people into transitions socially or medically, would come from uh, queer theory, whose aim it is essentially is to disregard and destroy any sense of um, uh, a, a biological binary of male and female and heteronormative acts like marriage and sex between man and woman, all sorts of stuff. We'll chat about that more another day. Um, the last category I want to bring in here, and I hope you guys are all doing okay, is intersex. Intersex. Again, this is all important because these are very real, different people that we can't just have a blanket sort of response or thought process to. Intersex people are different from transgender people, although some might put themselves under the banner, which again, I've, I've, had, I've had them half out, half in, as well as Gender dysphoria and scholars and activists, not all those people would identify as trans, some might. Whereas everyone in the middle group of rapid onset gender dysphoria is identifying themselves as trans. What is intersex? Intersex um, is a condition which is actually, a, again, an umbrella term for roughly 16 medical conditions where a person is born with one or more atypical features in their sexual anatomy chromosomes, secondary sex characteristics. So this is a, this is a category of, again, of biology, of physiology, um, and it's differences or disorders around sex development. Okay? About 1.7% of world's population could be classified as intersex. Um, about 99% of that 1.7, however, would actually be quite easily identifiable as male or female, which means there's about 0.017% which actually are um, hard to identify or are quite clearly in many ways both. 
male and female. Essentially, they would have both sets of anatomy. There were like the chromosomal things. This is a very complex little area, um, but they're, they're not either male or female. But they're also not a mysterious sort of third gender. We'll talk about that a bit later. But um, the human species is a sexually dimorphic species. We are mammals who produce with male and female, and that, that's, that's how it works. There's, there's not um, some magical third gender out there. Some people might disagree with that, but anyways. Um, so we'll spend more time talking about those middle two groups now. What I want to do now is move on. I hope the lay of the land has been helpful. That's the slide I wanted you guys to see, so you just kind of have a bit of a mental map in your head, and I really do think it's, it's helpful. Um, but let me quickly chat to us around our social and moral imaginations. You might have heard the phrase recently, we've used it a few times, um, we're stealing the phrase actually from a guy called Charles Taylor, a Christian philosopher, who speaks about the social imaginary, so we've kind of just adapted that language. But basically, all of us in this room have gut reactions, and we have intuitions, and moral tests, and we make ethical snap decisions, and we have just senses of what, what feels right, and feels good, or feels normal. Where did these come from? This is a question for all of us to, to ask, and any person in the world to ask. Where did these come from? Have human beings always thought the way you do, or the way we do? Have human beings always thought like modern, Western enlightened people? The answer is no, and the great test case for this is tonight's topic of transgender and intersex, because probably within one generation, essentially, the phrase, I am a woman trapped in a man's body, has gone from something extremely fringe, probably extremely bizarre to many people, nonsensical, maybe laughable to some, and in our context, our cultural context, has become something very profound, meaningful, and even politicized when people may lose their jobs over not affirming certain things or saying certain things. So some massive shift has happened in our imaginations of some shape or form. Shifts have happened. People's social imaginations have changed. Even though people haven't sat down, I would say, the vast majority of people in our culture haven't sat down, studied a whole bunch of philosophical you know, streams and come to a logical conclusion. We've just taken them in. And we've all taken certain things in from the world and culture around us. That this is what just happens in, in life. And so, as we said on Sunday, we all live out sort of metaphysical claims about the world without necessarily uh, realizing it. We all affirm worldviews with our daily responses or decisions or actions. Tastes change. They don't necessarily have to be logical in order for them to change or thought through in order for them to change. Many people today who have views on transgender will not hold the same views in 10 years' time, pretty much because they didn't hold them 10 years previously. So everyone needs to ask themselves, what do you believe? But then why do you believe what you believe? Around anything, why do you believe what you believe? And once you've asked that question, I then want to ask you that question of, where did the things that you believe come from? Because human beings haven't always thought them. Whatever they are, human beings, I can guarantee you, have not always thought them, whatever it might be. And most of these things that we're chatting about in this sexuality series have come from people like Freud and Marx and Marcuse and Judith Butler is the sort of um, leading scholar in queer theory, so her influence would be huge in this sphere. But the writer to the Hebrews, there's some scripture in this talk, don't worry. Um, the writer to the Hebrews um, says something fascinating to Christians. He's, he tells us to consider our Christian leaders and our Christian teachers, and he says, consider the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. 
Okay, that's something we're all we're all called to do. But I think it's worth saying to all people, after you've identified what you believe and who the people are that you actually have subscribed to their ideas, consider the outcome of their way of life. Whoever they might be. Sigmund Freud, Alfred Kinsey, Karl Marx, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. What was their legacy? Did they live a life of joy and abundance? Did they love God and love people? Did they exercise self-control? Did they have a sound mind? Where did their ideas that they took in lead them? What was the life that it led them to do? And then consider, do I want to imitate them or not? I think that's a valuable question for any human being to consider. So for us, the journey of, the journey of following Jesus right, is to have our social and moral imaginations shaped by Him and by His Word. Um, and the idea is that all of us would increasingly have the mind of Christ, like Paul writes. That's the goal. And so with that sort of all being said, let's just quickly dive into the postmodern story that many people um, would be hearing. And if you can actually just go back to that, the lay of the land slide, I put social activists, uh, social scholars and activists in there around queer theory, and you'll see I put dotted lines on either side, and I put two little arrows, put those little arrows in there if I up today. And because I would say they are the, the largest, most vocal, most platform people in our culture when it comes to this issue. That particular small group of scholars. They're a, they're a creative minority, essentially. They've just managed to do the long walk through the institutions and have just great places of power in the media and, and UCT and issues all over the show. And so people with questions and concerns are probably most likely hearing from them. And the rapid onset gender dysphoria people are certainly having their worldview shaped by those scholars. So, what do some of these guys say? Let's just look at the postmodern secular story quickly. Um, we chatted about this on Sunday, but essentially there's been massive shifts over the way human beings have thought and had their imaginations shaped over the last 300 years. The concept of what it means to be a human has gone from something that involved material and immaterial to getting in many ways completely psychologized. The self has been psychologized. That psychologized self has then been extremely sexualized by people like Freud and it's now been politicized. That's the journey of, of the modern self in many ways. And as we said on Sunday, we are caught in our current Western worldview between two actually completely contradictory and competing worldviews of modernism and postmodernism. Modernism, remember, is recognizing actually we don't think there's anything immaterial or spiritual in the world. It's all about the natural world, and everything is by chance and random, and so we just study this world that seems to have order, but actually, it's actually just a, at the end of the day, it's a chaotic bunch of forces that have just shaped human beings and the world around us. The postmodern view is completely different. That's all about the, the human mind being ultimate and the supreme uh, authority in the world is the autonomous individual self. And so, um, I can't remember, did we put up this? Yeah, so you might have seen that on Sunday, right? The two-story house, these conflicting worldviews. In the first story, you've got science, the objective fact of the material world. Then, in the top story is the postmodern world, which is all about the life of the mind and, and uh, theology and morality. And that can't be buttoned down. It's completely relativistic for everyone to decide what the nature of the reality and the world is. Which then led to personhood theory. Personhood theory. Now this is huge when it comes to this discussion. Okay? Personhood theory is essentially what you see on the screen there, right? Um, it's kind of taking the idea, firstly, in the bottom half, that your physical body 
is simply just raw material with no intrinsic sort of identity or purpose. There's no creator. Your body is just like any other piece of matter around this world. You just seem to have it, just seems to be there. But the human being is all in the mind and all in the heart and all in the, the, the sort of uh, autonomous self that just exists in the ether. And if that, if that is what it means to be a human, then we are free to impose our own interpretations on our bodies and the world around us. And we have increasingly technology to be able to do that. We can control certain, you know, we can predict the weather like we couldn't do it. We can, we can harness certain things. We can maybe put people on the moon or whatever it is. We're able to have dominion, not necessarily in the best way, over the physical world. Now, a great example of this, a different one from Sunday, is... Who knows Billie Eilish in the room? Have you heard of the Billie Eilish, okay? She is, oh, she's like 20 years old. She's a Grammy award-winning singer. She sings the song for the new James Bond movie, okay? Um, here's her quote that I stumbled across yesterday. Now, the context of this quote is she is talking about paparazzi taking photos of her body and her not being comfortable with it. And so she often wears baggy clothes anyway. Um, this is what she said. Just a great summer. We only need bodies to eat and walk around and poop. We only need them to survive. It's ridiculous that anybody even cares about bodies at all. Like, why? Why do we care? You know, when you really think about it. Fair quote. We do need to really think about it, though, <laughs> which is what we are doing tonight. Um, but she sums up perfectly the idea that our material bodies don't really matter and they don't actually um, define who we are, which is at the heart of this conversation. And so the core of a human being is completely to do with our feelings. The authentic self um, is basically, I think, therefore I am. You might have heard that classic enlightenment phrase. And we must be led by emotional reasoning rather than scientific reasoning in the, in, in the material world because we now, in our inner sense, are the people that determine right and wrong. And this totally makes sense then of what they call a gender um, or a transgender affirming view, which is like, if you feel something, go with it. If you are a man who thinks you're a woman, not only just consider it, you should probably start treatment tomorrow, which is a very fashionable view in large parts of our, of our culture. But it makes sense. All of this is completely consistent with this worldview, and that's what I want to say. It is consistent, okay? It totally makes sense. It makes sense that people feel pressure to conform their bodies to their mind rather than the other way around. And you've got people who are pressurizing parents in these conversations, and they're saying to them, um, their kids need to medically transition, otherwise they're likely to commit suicide. Now, suicide rates are very high among people who do have gender dysphoria, but most people who have gender dysphoria also have alongside that other mental health conditions. It's almost um, unanimous. But parents will be told, don't you want a living daughter rather than a dead son? It's an immensely pressurizing line, um, but it makes sense when you're coming from, from this worldview. It makes total sense. And then briefly I'll just say that some of the queer theorists and the activists would claim things like the fact that there are intersex people that exist means there is no such thing as male and female. It is a complete spectrum. And they would also then push some of them in some circles would say that gender identity is actually not rooted in biology at all. And has, it has no link. And some of them would go as far as to say um, that 
gender at all has nothing to do with sex. And a phrase has emerged which is homosexual. Um, it sounds it's a play obviously on homosexual, but it's postmodern sexuality, which essentially says gender is not linked to anything, and there can be an infinite number of genders. Which, obviously, if you think about it, if that's the case, gender is essentially then meaningless. Whatever people's internal sense of what they're describing, if it's not, I am a man, but I feel like a woman, or I'm a woman and I feel like a man, if it's, if it's beyond that, the concept actually just breaks down entirely and, and has, no, has no actual meaning. You can feel like anything, really, and then identify as that. Which then logically leads on to more things. Things like transableism, transspeciesism. You might not have heard of these things, but transableism is essentially this. Um, people who are actually able-bodied, but believe internally and desire to be disabled in some shape or form. And so, here's a photo. Um, this is Jewel Shooping. She's age 30 now. And since childhood, she wanted to be blind. She wanted to be blind. She described herself pretending to be sightless, wearing thick, dark glasses. By the age of 20, she had taught herself to read Braille fluently. And at age 21, she blinded herself with drain cleaner um, with the help of her psychologist. She says she's now living happily as a blind woman. That's her account. Now, in her mind, and for her psychologist, they thought this was the best way to love her. Remember, what's our question? How do we love people? With that worldview, this is extremely consistent. Your body is actually not you. Do with it as your mind pleases. And that's where we go. The next image is, uh, don't put it up yet, um, if, you, if, if it comes out and it disturbs you, feel free to look away. Um, but this is an example of what we call transspeciesism. Okay? So the photo is going to come up. It is a very disturbing photo. Um, this is Richard Hernandez. He's a former banker. He used to work for JP Morgan in the States. Um, he decided that he wanted to spend the rest of his life he was a male banker. He wanted to spend the rest of his life as a female dragon. And so, and it's a crazy concept, but then he went and had surgery. You can see he's had surgical horns. He, his most recent addition I read today is he has had his penis surgically removed. He's had his tongue cut so it's become forked. He's removed most of his ears and his nose. The people who performed this on him obviously thought this, I hope, in their mind, thought, this is the best way that I can love Richard Hernandez. It's consistent with the postmodern worldview that says your body is yours to do with as you please. It's disturbing, but consistent. Bring it just back to this conversation before we get to Jesus, which will be fantastic, um, is David Reimer. Um, David Reimer. He's the last one here. David Reimer is actually quite well-known in the conversation around transgender surgery, etc. Um, he was actually used by transgender, early transgender activists and scholars and stuff in the early 60s and 70s as a sort of great success story um, of their cause until um, it ultimately ended in tragedy. So the story of David Reimer is he was born a boy and when he was very young, he was, I mean, probably in his first few days of life, his circumcision essentially went horribly wrong. And they had to figure out what were they going to do with this young boy now who, who didn't have a functioning penis. Um, they chose to remove his penis entirely. They altered him to be a girl and they attempted to raise him as a girl for, uh, you know, growing up, his, his childhood and teenage years. Psychologist John Money, who at that time worked for John Hopkins University, uh, John Hopkins Hospital, 
which was the place that pioneered um, gender transitional surgery. Um, and as far as I understand, they've since stopped that. Um, they, they no longer do that because they, they actually have felt the evidence is against what they're trying to initially do. But um, John Money, when he oversaw this, uh, the surgery and this whole case, he was a psychologist involved. Um, for him, over the first few years, he, he, it, report, it was reported that this was an absolute success case. And for him, it was clear evidence that gender identity is primarily or completely learned. So he was raised as a girl, he was given girls' toys, he was dressed in dresses or whatever it was. David Reimer struggled a lot. I think he was, I think he was raised as Brenda. He struggled a lot. He had plenty of gender-typical attributes for boys. Rough-and-tumble play. He didn't want to play with girl toys, despite the fact that his parents were obviously forcing him with these things. He eventually had a deep depression in his teens, and they eventually told him the truth, that he was actually born as a boy. So he chose to transition back and live the rest of his life as his birth sex. And he lived until his mid-30s, where unfortunately, I think due to just so much trauma and confusion in his life, he took his own life. The question we need to ask when we come to the end of this postmodern story here is, is denying biology, hormones, chromosomes, etc. the best way to love someone? Is denying your physical body as part of you the best way to love someone? That's the, that's the question. Let's go to Jesus. Um, and we are three quarters through this talk in case you're wondering where you are. Um, Jesus. We mentioned on Sunday when we were looking at the topic of Jesus and same-sex attraction that when it comes to the Christian worldview, um, God has in many ways given us two books to study. His Word, the Bible, the revelation of Himself, and the world around us. Creation in God's view and in the Christian worldview and understanding, and many other religions as well, is that the material world is a good, beautiful thing that can be studied and it points to God and, and, and His purposes in this world. Paul, in the book of uh, Corinthians, would talk about uh, offering your bodies to God as, as living sacrifices. But in the same book, he literally says basically the same thing, but he says, offer yourselves to God. For him, your body is part of yourself. Your body is part of yourself. So let's read Jesus here. A very familiar passage to many of us in the room off the back of the last few weeks. We'll read the whole thing again, and then we'll pull out... A few of Jesus' big ideas that I think will help us as we think through all the people that we mentioned earlier, transgender, intersex, and, and various other camps. FYI, this is not some secret sort of hidden passage in the Bible that we finally found that has always been talking about chromosomes and intersex and medical transitions. No, that's not the case, but, but it's very helpful in this conversation. So, Matthew 19. And Pharisees, you guys are probably sick of this if you've heard this before. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said, Because of their hardness of heart, Moses allowed that. But from the beginning it wasn't so. And whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, marries her, and marries another, commits adultery. If this is such a case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry, the disciples said. But then Jesus said this, 
Not everyone can receive the same, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the, for the, sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. There's two big ideas here, which I'm going to, they're going to come in the next slide, that Jesus affirms, and I think we need to affirm, to, to helpfully think through how we love people. So firstly, you'll see Jesus makes this claim. You can go to the next slide. He makes this claim. He says, have you not read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? So Jesus, right off the bat, speaks about God creating humanity as two sexes. This is a biological category, what he's talking about here. There's not a spectrum, and you can go and read the science on this, but we are physical beings. I love what I heard today. We are actually sacred architecture that God has placed in the material world to rule it and represent it on his behalf. Moses and Paul both speak to ideas of cross-dressing and speak against them. Why? Because it, it removes the idea that God has, in his good wisdom, created male and female. And we don't want to collapse intentionally or blur those distinctions. Those are very cultural things, and we can have a whole other conversation and rabbit hole down there. But I'm just mentioning that Jesus is affirming male and female, biology, God's creation, in the beginning, and it's good. Good. But then in verse 12, he says, there are also those who are eunuchs from birth. Now, the eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men would have been men who would have been castrated, those who are eunuchs who have chosen to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God are those who are choosing to not sexually act, so they are kind of reserving themselves um, and acting like eunuchs. But then Jesus has this very interesting category, the first category he mentioned. There are those who are, have been made eunuchs from birth. He says there are those who are kind of like those who have been castrated, who can't perform, for whatever reason, um, being male or being female in some type of sense. They, they aren't born with the full anatomical kit that kind of goes with their identity. So Jesus says that there is male and female as a general rule, but there are exceptions to this rule. And both are true. Both are true. Biological sex is good, but we do live in a fallen, broken world where for some people it's just not as simple as that particularly around intersex. Paul himself in Romans says that creation itself is groaning because of the fall. There are disconnects that are happening all over the show because of the fall, in all areas of life, whether it's internal, whether it's interpersonal in relationships, whether it's environmental, as well as in the spiritual realm with regards to spiritual warfare. Everything has been affected. And so the conversations around all of All of these categories of transgender and intersex and all the commentary that goes on online and all the other worldviews that come on top of that which are creating a massive amount of confusion again makes sense in light of Jesus' story. Okay? In Romans 1 we're told humanity has exchanged truth for lies and the glory of God for created things. And it says humanity has become futile in their thinking. And I think there's something... I want to humbly and tenderly say that, but I think a lot of the confusion in the dialogue in the culture is because of futile thinking. 
But then you've got Jesus in this whole story of the world, okay? A world that's departed from him because of sin. And he comes and he enters the story. God himself takes on flesh in the person of Jesus. Jesus incarnates himself into quite literal meat and bone. God himself did that. That means something. God doesn't think this material world is to be removed and gotten away with. He thinks there's something brilliant in it, so much so that he he arrives as a human and he arrives as a male. Think about it. If if God was going to come and be a human and kind of represent all humanity, he could have come as some sort of androgynous human being to say, cool, I'm kind of trying to represent everyone. But God chose to incarnate himself as a first century Jewish male, upholding the binary, saying, no, no, humanity is male or female in the general category. Jesus came and he not only came as a man, but he lived life as a eunuch. Jesus chose to live life as a eunuch. The categories that he mentions, he embraces. He never got married. He never had sex. He, in many ways, cleared his schedule to be obedient to his father and do kingdom work as a single man. And he taught on lots of things and he upset lots of people on a whole bunch of issues, including things around gender and woman. He said crazy things about your biological family ties being less important than your kingdom ties and your spiritual family. And he died for the sins of the world and he rises again and he rises again in a physical glorified body. Think about this. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, currently has a body. Jesus right now exists in a physical body, a prototype of the resurrection body that we all will one day have and walk in. And in Jesus' whole story, we're all heading to a new creation. We're not heading off to heaven ultimately. We will be in some sort of immaterial existence. God has said he is going to renew and restore this cosmos and this physical world. And we will all live on a very real physical earth because God is pro-creation. Pro-creation. Very funny what I said there. (laughs) Here's the bottom line before we land with a quick response. How do we love people? How do we love people? Let me just say that these worldviews, the secular worldview, the postmodern worldview, which is one of many non-Christian worldviews, that and the Jesus story are like two boats that some of us might straddle for a bit. And they kind of float next to each other for a bit. But as time goes by and, and the storms of life happen and the oceans rage, we'll all find those two boats getting further and further apart. And what happens when the boats get further and further apart is you, you kind of end up with a choice at some point. You need to recognize, I need to jump wholly here or wholly here. We kind of make these decisions slowly but surely. But I think we all get to a point in life down the line where we need to jump onto one or jump on the other. Many people don't make those decisions and they end up just falling into the water, falling into the chaos. They end up nowhere and they end up drowning and they end up lost. And it's so important that we embrace Jesus and his story and his worldview if we love him. And we need to ask him to conform our social and moral imagination away from the one story and the one boat so that we can completely embrace him and his story and his boat. So, 
How do we respond? How do we respond? You've all done very well, and we're almost done. How do we respond? What does love look like? That's the question we're answering. What does love look like? For Christ followers, the question is not, do I love this person, but how do I love this person? And so we'll just talk very quickly to the two camps of intersex and people under the umbrella of transgender. We'll talk a little bit about how we figure out activism and what we do with policies and stuff um, Sunday, maybe. That's, supposed, that's my plan, apparently. Um, intersex. Intersex. Um, I think of Andrew Wilson with this thing. He's very simple and healthy. He just says, if, if we meet an intersex person, and if there's an intersex person in the room tonight, welcome. And if, if that information comes out and we get to engage with you and, and, and have a conversation with you, this is how this conversation should probably go. God loves you. I love you. Tell me what it's like to be you. Tell me what it's like to be you. You must have gone through so much to just not understand if you are male or female or just the biological reality that you are in some shape or form both. That must have, that must have, that must have been hard. Tell me your story. That's what we need to do. We need to get to know people. This is going to be a very small minority, but they're there. And we want to ask them, how can, how can I serve? How can we serve? We want to be people, we want to be a church that can serve people who are intersex. That's kind of all i got for intersex people. Um, I think we'll take it further from there as we get to know people. There's no blanket answer. Transgender and responding to people who would fall under the umbrella of transgender is kind of similar with a few sort of extra nuances. But firstly, we're going to tell someone who tells us, hey, I identify as trans, or I'm struggling with gender dysphoria, or something along those lines, we're going to say, cool, God loves you. I love you. Tell me what it's like to be in your shoes and to be living your life. Step number one. And I think what's helpful when we have that conversation and those conversations and there's going to be a million different strands of that conversation because if you've met one transgender person remember you've met one transgender person but I think what's helpful for us is to recognize that all Christians actually understand a sense of disconnect between what we feel and who we really are I mean maybe it's just me but I think there's plenty of times in my life where I'm like does God love me Am I a child of God? Do I have actually any assurance of my faith? It's been a pretty bad couple of weeks. Man, I haven't read my Bible. I, like, you know, There's a disconnect between who we think we are and what we're experiencing and the fact that God has stamped us and said, justified, set free, washed clean, made righteous, adopted as a son or a daughter of God. That's something we all experience, and we can bring that to the conversation. And we're all waiting for a day when Christ returns, when all those disconnects are resolved, when we've all been free from fallenness and brokenness in some shape or form. If the person we're chatting to who is transgender is not a Christ follower, I would simply say this. First, let's just talk about Jesus and reality. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about the nature of the universe? Who do you think Jesus is? That's, the, that's literally, it doesn't have to go any further than that. Love them, serve them, hang out with them, play whatever, sport or board games with them, watch a movie, 
and chat to them about Jesus and share who Jesus has been to you and who you found him to be. For those who are Christ followers, maybe again, maybe there are people in this room who experience this and I just don't know you and know your reality. God loves you. We love you. We want to find out what it's like to be you. But then what I would say is let's lovingly reason together from the scriptures and from God's wonderful worlds. We're told not to be harsh with the body, all of us, to not be harsh with the body, to avoid things like mutilation. When it comes to questions around transition, what does this look like? I'll go to the Proverbs, who doesn't speak to this question, but speaks broadly and says, prudence is wise. Take your time. Look, look at the lay of the land. Figure out the options. Have you gone through all the trajectories of what may or may not happen? Don't rush things. It's God's advice in any sphere of life. I wouldn't... I would, I would urge you to not cave to the social pressure to transition fast and early. I think we should try and help the mind to fit the body because one is clearly definable and one is very subjective. For example, if there was someone here who was struggling with anorexia and you were getting thinner and thinner and thinner, I would try to help your mind to conform with your body rather than vice versa. I would say, your, your, your body is actually fine. You are not overweight. That's in your head. How can we help you to fix this? We want to rather conform subjective experience to provable facts. And then we want to journey together. We want to journey together. We want to spend time. We want to get to know people. And we want to pray with people. I want to end on this. Maybe we totally want to pray for transgender people in the world and in our midst. But if they're Christ followers, let's also ask them to pray for us. We also have massive disconnect in our lives and we need the kingdom of God to break in and help us to conform ourselves to the image of Christ. So let's be people who journey together, love each other well. There's going to be plenty of different conversations and things we need to do, but we can't prescribe that tonight. So I hope this has been helpful. We are going to take a few questions if there are any. Paul and I will feel those. Um, and then we're going to spend some time singing some songs of worship and just coming before God and bringing our hearts before God because a lot's been said.